You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's episode, which is sort of wrapping up our impromptu series about the people who make Bon Appetit magazine happen. For this one, I talked with Rhoda Boone. Rhoda is a food director at Bon Appetit. Uh, What the hell is a food director? It's probably not a job title you've ever heard before, even if it sounds very cool. Well, it kind of combines a bunch of different things. She wears a lot of different hats. Part of her role is to be a classic food stylist, the person who is responsible for making sure the pasta and pizza and huge slabs of juicy meat look delicious when they're being photographed or filmed. But she's also sort of her production manager. She is the person who makes all the behind the scenes magic happen during video shoots and sort of choreographs the action that takes place in the videos, decides who's cutting what, when, what's gonna be prepared. It's all this stuff that goes into food, video production that I just, I didn't really ever think about happening. I thought as a food nerd, it was really fascinating. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. And before I get going with it, I want to do one little bit of housekeeping. Next week, I will not be here. We will be starting the next season of Working. That will be hosted by Laura Bennett, where she's going to be talking to the people of the Comedy Cellar in New York City. It's going to be a whole season about the stand-up comedy world. I think it's going to be great. So you can look forward to that starting next week. In any event, enjoy Rhoda. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's your name and what do you do? I'm Rhoda Boone, and I'm the food director for video for Bon Appetit and Epicurious. What does it mean to be a food director, exactly? My job kind of, you know, which is very much part of, I think, corporate life these days is I kind of have a three-part job in one. Okay, three prongs here. I kind of do three things, maybe that two or three people would have done in the past, but... I'm doing all of them. So I have, I would say my the food director part of my job is kind of helping to shape the series that we work on. I mostly work for Connie Das Entertainment, okay. which, so I'm making videos primarily on YouTube. And we now have this uh, Bon Appetit streaming TV app that you can download. So mostly I'm doing videos, a little bit of still. But the food director part is helping to shape the content and also make sure that the recipes we're choosing are kind of right for the series that we're working on, you know, thinking about the creative for a particular show and what food can help to drive, you know, that concept home to the viewer. Okay. So that's kind of part one. Part one. Part two is culinary production. So probably 60 to 70% of my job is I'm a culinary producer, which means we know we're going to do a shoot. How are we going to make that shoot happen? Do I have the recipe? How long is it going to take to make the recipe? Who's going to make the recipe? What do they need to make the recipe? Ingredients and equipment-wise, what's going to be the pacing of the day? How much can we get done? You know, where is this shoot happening? How do I get all the stuff there? All of those logistical questions. So it sounds like that's sort of, it's like the TV producer role that you had seen any kind of TV production, but all centered around food. Yes, because we have a producer too. So I'm just focusing on the culinary part. But when you're working for a food brand like Bon Appetit or Epicurious, that's the really important part. 
And then kind of part three is I'm a food stylist. Okay, so that's part three. That's part three. For some people, that's like their whole career. Yes. And I have that has been my whole career in the past. And often if you're watching a show, you know, I've worked on some shows for Food Network or Cooking Channel or even like The Chew. Uh, they have a culinary producer and a food stylist, but I'm doing both. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the food stylist is the person who's like, okay, where am I going to find the most beautifully ripe plum in the dead of winter? Or where am I going to get fresh curry leaves? Or, you know, what kind of swaps do we need for this show? Meaning, what do we need to make in advance? If we're making a chocolate cake, we don't want to have to wait around for it to bake and cool and all of that. So usually I'll, you know, make something the day before. So we have the magic of TV. Yeah, they don't. The cake's already done. That quickens the production yeah, process. Yeah, speeds it along. So you said that at one point you were just a food stylist, or mm-hmm. I, sh- I shouldn't say just because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big job unto itself. And uh-huh. it sounds like it's sort of just one thing is piled onto another. Um, <laughs> but you started off as a food stylist, I guess. Was that kind of your the beginnings of your career? Or, or? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> goes, well, I can start by saying I've always been a very visual person. So I went to like an arts magnet high school and studied visual art. Then I went to college and I studied photography and I moved to New York wanting to work in the photo industry of some kind or for a magazine. Waited tables, finally landed a job at Vanity Fair, where I worked kind of in the art department and started to learn photo production. So that's when the production stuff started. And I left that job to work for a photographer named Mark Seliger, who does a lot of celebrity and fashion, a ton of music stuff. So I worked for him as a producer for several years. And at that point, I got really interested in the idea of food media and kind of shifting from like the celebrity world, which was like Vanity Fair and Mark, and going more to the food side. What made you decide that you'd had enough of celebrities and like, <laughs> was it just like food sexy? I mean, food is basically the sexiest thing that you can shoot now, but <laughs> what sparked that? I had a lifelong interest in food and even like worked in the kitchen of a restaurant in college and kind of had dreams of going to culinary school. But, you know, I decided just to continue down that photography route. But working with celebrities can be a little bit uh, frustrating. Okay, (laughs) as definitely from the standpoint of a producer. So because it's sort of your job to deal with all their shit, right? Yeah. And like the schedules and the tardiness and you know all of those things i figured all right a plate of spaghetti is gonna be there on time it's gonna sit there as long as you needed to and then if you need another one you can just bring a fresh one in yeah that's (laughs) unlike a kardashian you can guarantee that absolutely okay the tomatoes easily replaced (laughs) okay so 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 you made the jump to the food world yeah so i said you know i really want to work in food media what do i need to do I think I need to go to culinary school. So I yeah. went to culinary school and that was amazing. I love school and I learned a lot. And I also felt like I needed to get some restaurant experience. So I think they're two totally different types of learning. Yeah. I mean, like that's a, that is sort of the divide in the food mm-hmm. world is like the culinary school types and the restaurant, like people yeah. come up through kitchens. Yeah. So you decided to do a little bit of both. I needed, I felt like I needed a little bit of both. And absolutely, some people just do one, some people just do the other. I think. People make their own way and yeah. like, make those decisions. But wait, so you were already a photo production person who had right. come out of like glossy mags. And yeah. were you at that point thinking, I'm going to do that for food, but I need to do all this other background stuff? Or did you think you were going into the restaurant world at that I, point? I thought I wanted to be a food stylist. 
Okay. And that's and all that is like you're I'm gonna need all this different kind of experience to get that job. Yeah. I mean it took about a year. Okay. Or maybe a little bit more. So it sounds more daunting than it maybe <laughs> yeah. really was. Okay. I mean it was a big shift because yeah. I wasn't working while I was in I was kind of working, but not full time while I was in culinary school. So it was it was a pretty big shift. But all in all, it was about six months for culinary school and like six months in restaurants. Then you ended up going and becoming And then I started assisting food stylists. When I think of the phrase food stylist, Mm -hmm. what comes to mind is the person responsible for making the Big Mac look tastier than it really is in real life when you get it in the box <laughs> or, you know, or well, there, you it, do have to adhere to truth and advertising. <laughs> OK, so like there push, are rules pushing the rules yes. <laughs> as far as possible. Yes. Did you do any of that kind of I stuff? I did. Yeah. Yes. I are you made... allowed to talk about that? Sure, or is it so, yeah, sure. So like, what? yeah, tell me, like, what kind of what did you fool me into eating? Well, I made <laughs> every single item on the Arby's menu, which is like over 200 sandwiches. Did you really? In the span of a week once. What, you made the meats? Well, (laughs) I didn't make make the meats, but I styled the meats. (laughs) You styled the meats. Because you have to use the products that you're advertising. Yeah. So they shipped giant hunks of meat (laughs) and we had deli slicers and we made it look as Best as we could. So wait, so when you're working with like an Arby's sandwich, and I want this for context. Yeah, absolutely. When you're working with an Arby's sandwich, what are you doing to pretty that up? There's an art to folding meat. <laughs> okay. You so know, layering I'm... it, you know, there's undulations between the slices of meat. You know, you're kind of, you're looking at some symmetry, maybe some asymmetry, and you're kind of, you're looking at the... The jaunty tip of the bun top, you know, yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot there. Maybe there's like a drip of sauce coming down the side. Are you like applying that sauce with like a squirt bottle? Oh, I have a kit. You yeah. have a kit? Yeah, I had I had a major, major kit. <laughs> Were you like gluing things on? I have had to glue sesame seeds onto buns before. Is that what? What's that process like? It's very tedious. <laughs> <laughs> it involves tweezers and like little tiny toothpicks and, yeah. you know, spray adhesive and stuff like that. I'm imagining you with like a, a tiny magnifying glass or something <laughs> on your eyes. You look at it. I mean, that's probably that's, totally... that's a great idea. Yeah. I should get this. <laughs> I ever go back to the uh, commercial world. What was in that kit? Tweezers of multiple sizes, toothpicks, Q-tips, love a paintbrush, had you know many different Sizes of paintbrushes. What were you painting on? Well, for example, for Arby's meat juices <laughs> to make the meat look juicy and fresh. <laughs> so it's like, where, like, where are you I getting the meat? I paint on all kinds of stuff, where, where even are you now. The, where are you getting the meat juice? From the meats. <laughs> so like you just take the hunk of meat and it's sitting We were warming them. Okay. You know, so they didn't have those like cold, fat, globule things going on. And so kind of like in the pan... You know, like if you cook a piece of meat and you let it rest on a cutting board, you're going to have some juices there. So kind of the same same sort of thing or even like water. It makes sense. So you're taking a paintbrush and just like a little mm-hmm. bit to give just it a to l- kind of freshen it up. If it's been sitting on set for a minute and there's lights and all that kind of stuff. I like this is sort of the equivalent of a cele- again the Kardashian needs like a, some more <laughs> hair makeup, and makeup more hair and makeup applied. This yes. is <laughs> more juice. Yeah, bring in the powder. You know? Yeah, bring in the meat juice. Um, That's... And I love a spray bottle. Okay, those little tiny misters. Those are great. Those make lettuce look super fresh. I use them for tomato slices. You know, any kind of produce. 
So there's like a little tiny Evian mister that you can get that's like a face mister. Or there's those little travel size spray bottles that you can fill with whatever. So I'd fill those with water. I actually still use tiny spray bottles even today. I mean, my job, you know, certainly working for Bon Appetit, they have a much more natural styling style. It's almost hands off, you know, after you're cooking something which is very different from a commercial shoot, like what we're talking about. Where in the industry does that rank, though? Because is that sort of like entry-level food styling or is that like That's really high advanced. level? That's advanced I mean, to level. get hired for a big yeah. commercial job like that where there's like a lot of money and people mm-hmm. and – you know, a big ad campaign and it's like a week long. And that's kind of once you've been in the the scene for a couple of years at okay. least. Um, some people make a whole career of just doing that. But I did a really nice mix. I mean, you don't want to necessarily do that every day of your life. So I did great editorial stuff. I worked on cookbooks. I worked on TV shows during that time after culinary school before the yeah. jobs I had after that. And I also was doing a lot of recipe testing and recipe development. Oh, you're doing that simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of putting a foot in that world as yeah. well. as. Mm-hmm. How did you then get to Bon Appetit? Let's get come to the present day-ish. <laughs> okay. how, how did you end up at Bon Appetit? <clears throat> well, as I was food styling, I started working with Bon Appetit and also recipe testing for them and developed some relationships and an opportunity became available at Epicurious. So actually, I was food director for Epicurious for about four years so I got hired there full time. And tell me, what is Epicurious so, for people who don't? Epicurious is a sister brand to Bon Appetit. It's an online recipe resource with 30,000 recipes or something insane like that. And original content that we started making about five years ago or so. So I worked at Epicurious and that that was a job, same title, food director, totally different job. Yeah. But and what did it what did it? That food director position was more like a traditional magazine food director, which means more content creation. So I was writing recipes. I was writing articles. I was managing a test kitchen and people that were also writing recipes, people that were testing recipes, you know, managing kind of a a deadline schedule and that sort of thing. And then I was about two weeks away from giving birth to my second child. And my boss at the time sat me down and said, we have a new opportunity for you when you come back from maternity leave. We're opening this video studio in Brooklyn. You know, would you like to work there? Would you like to help us continue to build this video side of the company? At that point, Bon Appetit, YouTube, video viewership was just rising, rising, rising. And they were really ramping up production. And so this was about a year and a half ago. They offered me this new position with video. Okay. And that's how you end up the food director. And that's how I ended up in the job I have okay. right now. So it is, a, it's kind of, it is a, a winding road. That's kind of, that seems common for the food world though, in general, like more so than other parts of media. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had the production early on. I had the food styling. I had the like recipe editing, testing stint. And now it almost feels like everything is coming together with the job that I have right now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. 
Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I want to stay on the the styling aspect Mm -hmm. of things because now when you're doing videos, what you know, you talked about how it is different Mm -hmm. from it's more natural, but you still are spritzing stuff as a stylist. What is sort of your role now? Like, what are Mm -hmm. you doing to the food? It depends on if we're working with a host or if I'm creating the food that's on camera. Most of the time I'm working with a host. So they cook the dish their way, you know, and at the end, we usually grab some beauties and that those are the beautiful shots of the food you see at the beginning and the end of the video. So that's like a quick kind of zhuzh, maybe get out the paintbrush, paint a little sauce on the meat, you know, <laughs> and make it look as good as possible when we're getting those tight shots. And But for the most part, we're moving quickly. And I feel like styling for video is much looser than styling for still photography. Because yeah. you're seeing something moving. You know, it wouldn't have occurred to me that the food on video is being styled. Like maybe that's because I'm just naive, but it is to some extent. A little part, bit. It's yeah. good. It's I like mean, how on TV. Yeah, on definitely. T- okay. Is it heavily styled on like Food Network? It. I think it depends on the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and depends on the host of that show. Sometimes you're making the dish on a completely different day and getting those beauties, and that person's not even there. Yeah. And that's that's like the industry term, the beauty. Yes, the beauty. Yeah. yeah. For the close-in, like mm-hmm. the the foodborne shot, mm-hmm. basically the foodborne. Yeah, uh, but you we call, call it a, a beauty. A beauty is like <laughs> yeah. a lot. It's a lot more polite than porn shot. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, actually, sometimes sometimes we shoot extra beauties of shows that we feel like okay, we didn't get this the first time around. So we're actually about to launch a a show that's all about pizza, and that was created for this new streaming TV app for Bon Appetit, but it's also going to be on YouTube. But it's all about making the perfect pizza. And it's all of the editors from the test kitchen coming together. One person worked on the dough. People worked on the cheese. People worked on the toppings. But they got, you know, most of the way through the editing process and felt like they didn't have enough pizza food porn. (laughs) So we had a whole nother shoot last week where I just made a few pizzas so they could just get those close up shots because they were on location and they were, you know, doing this and that. And they just, you know, like, oh, gosh, we just need a few more like tantalizing pizza shots. And you were both making the pizza and then styling it. Yes. So what are you looking for when you're styling a pizza? Like what what is your process for style? Because that is a food that to me sounds like it would be unstylable. Like it's this <laughs> hot mess of sauce and cheese, but somehow, <laughs> so what are you doing there? Well, you're definitely thinking about your camera angle. So are we shooting this top down from above? Or are we going to shoot it from the side? So I kind of think about the composition of the shot and then how to build something and cook something so that it just looks as good as possible. So I had a hot pizza that I was putting basil on top of and the basil was dying within a minute. So I just had to kind of keep refreshing the basil, keep changing that out. You know, you just want to watch the pizza and make sure the cheese isn't looking congealed. Everything is hot and fresh. Make another one. So pizza sounds like it's actually a fairly easy thing in that case. It, your job is just make sure the pizza it doesn't get cold. That's a, yeah, cold, doesn't yeah. get cold and gray. I thought of another great tool I have in my, my yeah. toolkit, a heat gun. A heat gun? My favorite tool. What does the heat? A it heat sounds gun. self-explanatory, but run me through it. A heat gun looks like a hairdryer, but they're used to strip paint. 
So it's literally something you can turn on. It has a very hot, not a flame, but a very hot heat source, basically like a, a really intense hairdryer. And you can make cheese melt, make cheese bubble. You can kind of refresh anything. You can actually hit meat with it to kind of freshen that up. It almost does what a broiler would do, but you can do it on set. You don't have to take food away, put it back in the oven. It's a hand broiler? It's a hand broiler. <laughs> is this something that like a home cook can get or is that sure, like a you can buy them at the hardware store? Is that a terrible idea to try and cook something um, with a hand broiler? I don't know if I would cook anything with a heat gun, but you can definitely use it for styling. It sounds like something you'd do with like a, if you sous vide something, maybe you'd hit it with the heat gun after. Well, maybe there's something called a searzall, which is, you can put on the end of like a culinary torch. Okay. And this was kind of a trend a couple years ago, but you can cook something with a searzall. Okay. But not the heat gun. I don't know if it gets quite hot enough. I don't know. We could try it sometime. Wait, so is that what you're doing with the pizza? You're yeah, like, you're just kind of refreshing it. Okay. The cheese starting to look old. Let's just hit it with the heat gun. Yeah. Every once you know, in a bring while. Bring it back. Bring it back to life. <laughs> what is something that you would make a Bon Appetit that's actually a little bit more difficult to style or to keep looking good? Anything that dies quickly can be challenging because you kind of have to get your shot and then it just starts to look dead. So what dies fast? Meat tends to kind of look old quickly. Sometimes pasta, something with a creamy sauce or, you know, if that sits out for a little bit, it can just start to look kind of sad. Anything can congeal, it sounds like. Yeah, anything creamy or if it starts to get cold, like anything cheesy. It's a pizza like a carbonara. Like or yeah. <laughs> fettuccine Alfredo or, you know, anything that looks best hot. And I mean, if you can imagine something you eat at a restaurant and then towards the end of the meal, it just starts to look kind of. Mm, droopy any maybe salad something that's dressed something that can get really wilty like mm -hmm. a tender lettuce or something like that what is the art of taking a beauty is it just like a close cropped image or what else are you doing to make food porn food porning <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we're spooning sauce over slicing into something sometimes we shoot things like a cake whole and then we'll take a slice out and also shoot the slice just to see if they like both or just want to use one or sometimes we'll do, you know, a fork going in and coming out or it's nice to have if you're shooting video, it's nice to have some movement in that beauty or it's, you know, it's the cameraman sweeping or kind of racking focus in and out or I mean, that's one big difference from shooting stills where something's just kind of sitting there and you're taking multiple shots. Actually, the other day, I think the day that Adam Rappaport was here with you, we had shot that morning. And we ended up, they ended up eating all of the food that they made before we got to get our beauty. So then at the end of the day, I had to make the whole dish again. Oh, all so over. So we could get our, our beauty <laughs> shots because it was so delicious and everyone was so excited. They were just rushing over to eat it. And I was like, wait, wait. Oh, okay. What, what about lighting? Are you like playing with that at all? Is like that's There's a camp, you know, we have lighting set up and yeah. that's really more, we usually have one or two cameramen. And that's their department. And they're, hand they're handling They're that. handling that. Okay. So, and we have a monitor maybe that I'm looking at to see how everything looks, you know, and also checking with the director to make sure they're happy with what we got. Are there any like food film cliches that you try to avoid or, or are there ones that you like really lovingly embrace? <laughs> there are some kind of funny tricks to the trade. I mean, I would say that food styling has changed a lot since, you know, the 80s where everything was more like that Big Mac commercial where everything's perfect and, 
you know, or kind of the Martha Stewart, you know, age of perfect baked goods and everything like that. It's much more natural these days. For video or for, for everything. For video and for print, okay. especially for Bon Appetit. I think they really like a more natural style. But one of my favorite tricks that I learned from a food stylist that I worked for is the tampon trick. The what? Boiling water, tip the tampon in, hide it behind a potato or anything else you want to look nice and steamy. And it gives that like beautiful kind of trail of of steam that looks like smoke that rises out of the back. <laughs> so that that sounds like that would be something you're doing more of like the commercial shoot back yes, in the yes. day than than like the test kitchen. Yes, now. or or more of a conceptual shoot yeah. or you know. Well, so do life do you break thing. out any of those like real like tricky tricks of the trade now that you're? No. Or, I was gonna say now it's much <laughs> more natural. Yeah. Now it's like okay, we just made this. It's yeah. hot. Let's get the beauty. All right, on to the next. Yeah, it's the man. It's time management. Yeah, because you know we're shooting three more videos that day. So, how much of your time is actually spent on the styling aspect of things now? I'm on set almost every day, and I'm often prepping for the next day while I'm on set. Okay. So I have an army of wonderful culinary assistants that help me with shopping and prepping and making those swaps that we were talking about. You know, things you can make in advance for the next day if it's like. A stew that takes two hours to simmer or a chocolate cake that needs to cool before you can put the frosting on it or something like that. So I, my job is very heavy on definitely the culinary production side and the food styling because I'm, I'm right there on set. I guess another part of food styling for video is not only are you shopping for those ingredients, but I'm often doing something that we call measing which comes from the term mise en place, which means kind of everything in its place. So a restaurant chef will have, you know, their station set up with their already chopped onions and the thyme leaves that are already picked and, you know, whatever else they need for that shift. So I will work with the producer and the director to say, you know, okay, I think, you know, Molly should chop the onions, but let's have the garlic and the ginger already chopped for her. So she shows up to the set and there's bowls of ingredients already measured out. She's got her one cup of cream. She's got her, you know, two tablespoons of butter or whatever. And it's all kind of laid out in bowls so she can just start cooking. She doesn't have to kind of fumble around and measure out a tablespoon of oil. And, you know, but we talk about we don't want the videos to be too short. We don't want to do all the work for her because we want her to be doing something while she's talking about what she's doing. But maybe she doesn't have to do everything. So that's another part of food styling for video is kind of that. You're choreographing her yeah. her prep work. Yeah. And then usually the host comes in and I say, okay, so you're going to start here. You're going to chop your onions, put them into this bowl. Then you're going to walk over to the stovetop. You know, the oils are already over there. I've got your skillet. You can start heating it up. And then while, while those are frying, let's come back over and you can start working on your, you know, kale stripping or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So you're giving her directions and dance steps for the, for. Yeah. And sometimes they'll say, well, this bowl feels too small or. You know, that's not the right size skillet or I would use this spatula instead. And it's like, OK. And then we like fly in something else. Or How do you decide like what vegetable they're going to chop? Like <laughs> why, why the onion? Sometimes I think about the skills of my host. OK. Uh, we have someone, <laughs> Andy Baragani is one of the test kitchen editors that we shoot with a lot. And he is amazing with herbs. He has a knife that's called the herb slayer. He loves to chop herbs and he can chop and look at the camera and talk while he's chopping and moving the knife across a cutting board, which is like terrifying to me and most other people. So with Andy, 
I'll have them chop all the herbs. Somebody else, maybe I'll have the parsley already chopped. It's kind of like a usually a spur of the moment decision, sometimes discussed with the producer or the director. But so you have to be very attentive to a chef's knife skills, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. And also, how long do we want the video to be? So if you want the video to go longer, you leave more prep work for them. Yeah. And, you know, it's always going to get edited down. But usually we want our videos to be about at least 10 minutes for YouTube. So you definitely don't want to do all of the work for them because then there's not a lot to do and talk about. What other sorts of decisions are you making on set? Well, one show I work on is called Back to Back Chef. And that's with Carla Music, who's the food director of Bon Appetit. And that's our celebrity show. And so... Carla usually cooks through a recipe in advance and we time it out. Then we triple the time it takes her and that's how long it's going to take her to make it with this guest. So she has a guest come on, a celebrity guest, and they cook back to back so they can't see each other or what they're doing and they have to follow along through verbal instructions only. Okay. So she's standing there explaining to Natalie Portman how to crack open a coconut and... You know, Natalie's sitting there with like a screwdriver and a mallet and Carla's like talking her through it. So a lot of the prep work for that show is timing out how long each step is going to take. And often with our celebrity friends, they tend to run late, but they still have a certain out time. So it's like, you know, this person's 20 minutes late, but they still have to leave at 3.30. So we'll chop the shallots for them. But they can scramble the eggs or, you know, whatever. I like how you left one industry to avoid the celebrities. I know. <laughs> no. It's the only show. It's the only <laughs> it's only one of like 10 shows I work on that <laughs> does have the celebrity angle. But yeah, it's, you know, that's kind of an on the fly decision. It's like, OK, we're not going to have we need an hour to do this and we only have 40 minutes. So what do we do to help speed this along? Uh, and you have to figure out what Natalie Portman's knife skills are going to be in order <laughs> exactly. to get that. You have to guesstimate that, <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose. It's going to take her, you know, 10 minutes to chop this yeah, red onion. Yeah, so we, let's just have that done. <laughs> it was the last time she chopped an onion. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's not single her out. But Well, yes. she's the only one I know who's been on the show. <laughs> yes. So no offense meant to Natalie Portman, in case you're listening. Well, we uh, just had Al Roker on, and he was actually a very good cook. Oh, I yeah? Think he's probably the best cook we've had so far. Yeah, how, how are the celebrities? Are they typically? There's a range. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it's fun. It's a really fun show to work on. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So there's this combination of you're watching over the aesthetics, you're watching over the logistics. Yeah, I'm listening to you talk about all this and how you have multiple, you know, versions of a meal or like, you know, things to swap in or out. How much food waste is there in the process of one of these shoots? (sighs) (laughs) That's probably my biggest guilt 
with this job. People do ask if these dishes are eaten, and yes, they are. Okay. Especially the From the Test Kitchen stuff, which is the series that I work on that's the, you know, food editors from the Test Kitchen cooking recipes. We always put the food up afterwards for the crew and for everyone else in the Test Kitchen to eat. There are some shows where there is food left over, ingredients left over, which I, we always try to give away. But another example is I just worked on a show called Almost Every Way to Cook and we just did egg. We've also done chicken. And we have another one that's coming out soon um, that we're going to be working on. And with egg, I think we went through 25 dozen eggs. Oh, yeah. See, this is the show where you guys literally try every technique you can yes, think of. We, to... Emil Stonic is the host of that show. And yeah. he cooked eggs 59 ways. Yeah, it was 30 minutes. Of yes. every, <laughs> did you every, I, I sat down and watched a lot of that <laughs> it's a, one. It's a great, yeah. it's a great show. Um, so I, it did not look like every one of those eggs was getting eaten. He did take a bite of every single one. Wow. Okay. So how long, how many days did that take? That was three days. Three days for one of those videos. So that was some swaps just to blow through a lot of those methods. But he, you know, he cooked a lot of them in real time and you can see in the video. But that was a lot of eggs. <laughs> yeah. So no. <laughs> there were a lot of eggs for that show. So some of those got dumped. Yes. What about like the reheated pizzas and stuff? Well, I guess people like reheated pizzas. Yeah. And a lot of people take stuff home. Okay. But yes, I mean, there is food waste. But we have our, our test kitchen manager, Gabby, is really working on a composting program, which is not something that our building, we, we work at One World Trade Center. It's not something that our building does, but would be amazing. Yeah. I'm trying to think about like, how they would manage composting there. Yeah, we'll I see. Like, I, I kind of like the idea. <laughs> She's that, trying really I kind of like the idea of Condi compost. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a, It's not free. <laughs> yeah. All the Vogue people are marching down to the, <laughs> oh, to the test kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Then, to but, get rid of their know, lunch or something. But, you buy a whole bunch of parsley. You yeah. use part of it. You try to use it up in some other way or send it home with somebody. But yeah, there is some waste, unfortunately. You're also picking recipes. That's part of your job as well, you said, or thinking about the recipes. I'm, are... I'm definitely consulting on recipes, um, not necessarily choosing, but we have a show that I work on called Four Levels. That's for Epicurious's YouTube channel. It's a really cool show. It follows three levels of chef or cook, the same recipe, but they make it their way. So we just did burger. So we have a beginner, kind of an intermediate, and a professional chef all making a burger their way. And then level four is this food scientist that comes in at the end and kind of talks about why doing something one way would give you this result versus another result from doing something another way or, you know, and she breaks down like chemical compounds and stuff like that. So I really like working with the director on that show, this guy Rusty Ward, because he kind of leans on me to talk about, okay, Will this recipe work for this show? Is it visually different enough as you ratchet up these levels? Is this dish scalable in that way? And will it look different enough? You know, is brownies the right choice? Because you know? if you're watching someone make brownies for 10, 20 minutes, if it's the same looking thing each time, does a brownie Actually, work for that? it did. <laughs> okay. Can you elevate a brownie? You know, can you top it with something? Can you stir something in? Can you bake it in a different shape? So, you know, can we elevate this dish? And also, is there something for the food scientists to talk about at the end of it? So there's a lot of you know, conversations about that. And someone who has a food background like me can really kind of give a lot of insight. And like, I think this dish will work. And I, I think this dish won't work for this show. That's sort of like the pre-production stuff. Yeah, for you. absolutely. So how much of your day is like involved in 
pre-production versus actually being on set, would you say? Well, I'm on set almost every day, but I'm often also doing pre-production for other things while I'm on set. <laughs> so you're doing, you're juggling both. Yeah. So it's like you're on, you're on your phone while the shoot's going. <laughs> yes. So you're thinking about one show while you're also watching the monitor for another. I'm thinking about the show I'm on that day, the show I'm getting ready to do the next day, and then the show I'm doing like a week from tomorrow. So when you are when you're doing the the next day show, mm-hmm. is that like coordinating your army of people to like go do the groceries or what? Do yes, you, yes. <laughs> I'm I'm texting my assistant who's at Whole Foods about which yeah. short ribs to buy or you know where we're gonna find curry leaves or any kind of specialty ingredients. The curry leaves seem to be very much on your mind. I've noticed this. Is oh well, the... I have to find them for something next <laughs> week. Like, where am I gonna find these? I think you could you get curry leaves at Calustians. Uh, Calustians, yeah. yeah they so have I was frozen li- about... ones. Yeah, I've I've had them rot in my fridge because I was like I got too ambitious. <laughs> it's like I'm going to use these. Yeah. No, did not happen. Did not make that rice dish. So you're you're literally coordinating people out in the field who mm-hmm. are out shopping. How much of your life is just thinking about shopping or other people shopping? A lot. <laughs> is it? <laughs> the shopping's a big part. You know, you have to have the food there or else you can't make anything. Yeah. What have you learned about shopping in New York? Having to coordinate that every day. I love Fresh Direct. I have to say. That's that's the great insight. It's changed my life. You know, I mean, the schlep is, food stylists always talk about the schlep. The schlep. It's like, there's so much to carry. You know, you're going all over town, this place for this, that place for that, carrying stuff on the subway or in a taxi. So to be able to have something delivered makes life so much easier. And then also Amazon to yeah. find those ingredients that I don't feel like going to Flushing Queens to get this particular thing even though that would be really fun. In most production setups, is the food stylist the one who's also tasked with getting all the stuff? Is that how it kind of always works? It's that sort of double role? Whether you're hired for a cookbook shoot or a magazine shoot or a video shoot, I would say 99% of the time, the food stylist is shopping for the ingredients, bringing them, and then either cooking them on set or setting someone else up to cook those ingredients. Huh. And then kind of working on the beauties at the end. So for cookbooks, you're taking that person's recipe and you're making it happen. Unless they're styling their own book, which does happen. But actually, I got to work on my former boss, David Tamarkin, who's the digital director of Epicurious, wrote a cookbook. It's called Cook 90. And we shot that entire cookbook last summer. It was really fun. I got to style the whole book. And we kind of worked around the video schedule in order to do that. And it's amazing. So it was a great experience. Yeah. But so that in that case, he was cooking. But or, I was. Oh, no, you were cooking. cooking. Oh, you were cooking that. You were doing I the mean, cooking, cooking along with him. Cooking yes, along but with Mostly cooking. So the stylist is there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Again, it means a lot of things. Yeah. When I hear the phrase food stylist, again, I just have I have the sesame seeds and I guess the tampon now that's <laughs> yeah. never going to leave. You're welcome. Yeah. That, <laughs> that image is going to be stuck. It's a new trick. But that I guess that's a very reductive view of, of what the job is. It's. It's a little bit of all this stuff. The world of food media is so far reaching at this point, And there's so many different kinds of jobs yeah. you can have in that world that that term does mean a lot of things. Even like yeah. my job now is food director. And I used to be food director of Epicurious, but it means two totally different things. OK, so this is another thing I wonder. So you're the food director, but there's also a director of the shoot. Yeah. Do you How- want to talk about who's on set? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like, what's your relationship with those people? Like, like with that person? Like, who's who's in charge? Technically, the director's in charge. It depends on who I'm working with, but we, okay. work, we generally work pretty closely together. And we have people on staff at Condé Nast. So I work with the same crews, 
you know, there's there's more than one director. There's more than one producer. There's more than one camera guy. There's only one of me. But I do work with these different teams, but it is like usually one of two directors that I'm working with. Because on the one hand, they're the director. Like they're supposed to be directing the action. So Uh, they're directing the host. But you're telling them what to chop. (laughs) So it just seems like like, like that seems like that's a fair – like which in food videos, that's – yeah. the director is helping them with what to say. Okay. And helping them during the segment. So we I also work on a show called Gourmet Makes, which is Claire Soffitt's making gourmet versions of junk food, basically. And it's really an emotional roller coaster of a show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because she goes kind of through these trials and tribulations to get to the final product. And so the director is there, you know, Claire, how are you feeling? What's your plan? You know, what are we working on? What are you doing? And I'm there. Actually, she calls me her emotional support food stylist because I'm there saying, you can do it, Claire. Let's just make it one more time. You know, let's we can figure this out or, you know, so I'm I'm kind of there as culinary support. But my lift is much lighter on that show because she really is cooking everything herself, doing all these tests, trying to figure out how to make an Oreo or a Reese's peanut butter cup or Skittles. She's trying to figure out how to improve those things yeah. from the original. So the director is there kind of helping her talk about how she's feeling, what she's doing, what she's going to do next, that sort of thing. I see. And he's directing the camera guy. Like, let's make sure we get this shot. Like, okay, let's switch to montage mode because she's kind of like in production and like just going through the thing or, you know, okay, let's wrap it up. What are we going to do tomorrow? That's that's the director. But for me, I'm kind of dealing with the culinary side. You're all eyes on the food. Yes. So we've gone through some uh, chocolate tempering issues. And so I'm, uh, you know, she's, (laughs) (laughs) I think fans of hers will know what I'm talking about, but- you know, she's trying to execute something and I'm not supposed to help too much. You know, she's supposed to go through these these uh, experiences alone, but I am there to kind of jump in and, and help when I can. What goes on with chocolate tempering? It's what really is, hard. Wait, what is, what is, what is chocolate tempering? Yeah, what's chocolate temper? When you buy a piece of chocolate commercially, it's tempered, which means it has that kind of glossy, snappy texture. Like if you buy a Hershey's chocolate bar, you can like snap it into pieces. But if you want to melt that down and then use it in another way to enrobe peanut butter, for example, or, you know, make your own Snickers bar or something like that, you have to treat it in a certain way, like bring it to a certain temperature, back down to another temperature, and then eventually to another temperature in order to get it back to that glossy, like snappy state. Okay. It's hard. Yeah. And so (laughs) sometimes that goes wrong. It's your job to like either lend moral support or jump in and (laughs) (laughs) clean up a mess, set her up to do it again, you know, and uh, say, it's going to be okay, Claire. We can do this. (laughs) So do you do still work at all now for the magazine at this point? The one vertical that I have worked on is basically, which is kind of a subsect of Bon Appetit. It's kind of for like beginner cooks, people that love food and are just learning how to cook. So we've traditionally shot videos, it's actually our only hands and pans video series that we still do, which means you're just looking down at someone's hands cooking something. Everything else is pretty much hosted at this point. But that shoot is a video shoot and a still shoot happening at the same time. So it's taking making food for the video, taking it over to the still set, also getting a shot of it there, continuing on with video and kind of going back and forth. How does styling for a food magazine now like what goes into that at this point like is it is that more intensive than the video stuff it's hard because 
if I was going to style something for photo, I would probably cook it a little bit differently than what a recipe would say. Maybe I would cook things separately, like components of a dish. Like let's say you were cooking chickpeas with tomatoes with you know, some herb and like something else, chicken or something all together in one dish. I might actually cook them separately and then combine them together on a plate so they could have more control over the composition, the freshness of something. You know, maybe I'm afraid something's going to overcook if it all cooks together or get too saucy or whatever. You know, it can control it better. But if you're cooking something for video, you have to actually show the process. So you have to follow the recipe. So for cookbook recipes, does that happen often that you're not actually cooking the recipe that you're doing a composite that is you're you're smiling at me like, yeah <laughs> just waiting for you to finish yeah sorry i'm I, this is dawning on me and i'm suddenly realizing why like that lamb i cooked out of the zahav cookbook looked nothing like it, was... it depends it's totally a judgment call you know sometimes i undercook things yeah like vegetables because they're going to look you know the broccoli is going to look more bright green if it's not cooked for 12 minutes or whatever if it's just kind of quickly blanched or um i mean yes to go back to the truth and advertising thing, you know, you don't want to present something that's not a fair representation of that dish so that someone at home makes it and it doesn't look like the picture. Yeah, but there are no laws with cookbooks. <laughs> that's <true. laughs> the difference. You're not bound by the federal government here. You want to make something look as good as possible. Okay. Maybe you don't want to toss salad greens in a bowl with everything else. Maybe you just want to drizzle the dressing on top or just use your spray bottle and give it a spritz so it looks like it's been dressed, but it hasn't been kind of worked so that it can last longer on set, something like that. So if you're a home cook and you've made something out of, you know, out of a cookbook and it looks absolutely nothing like the picture, how often is that actually a failure on your part? And how often has the cookbook <laughs> set you up for set you up for that failure? Well, you never want to be misleading. I mean, yeah. if you are illustrating a recipe in a cookbook or in a magazine that's printing a recipe and showing a picture of it. The mm -hmm. picture should help to inform the cook. Okay, this is kind of what this is supposed to look like. You don't want to deviate so far from the cooking instructions, but perhaps there are things you decisions that you can make that will help it look the most beautiful the height in the it. end. But you try not to do too much of that. What other kinds of so you undercook the broccoli, you cook things separately and combine them at the last uh, what other kinds of tricks like that are there? And, dress dress the salad at yeah, the last minute or don't dress it at all. Sometimes kind of be careful about whether you want to shoot something whole or in pieces or try both, whether it's meat like a roast that you're slicing or a cake or even a piece of fish. Or chicken, you know, a whole chicken leg, meaning the drumstick and the thigh can look better than a separated thigh and, and drumstick. You know, sometimes meat can kind of look gruesome. Sometimes if you take a bite out of something, it actually looks more appealing. Or if you have a whole dish of gratin or something, you take a scoop out so you can see the bottom of the dish and kind of see all the layers, that can look more appetizing. So it's kind of thinking about how food is going to look the best and, and sometimes shooting along the way. So a lot of that stuff is just it's taking the recipe and, and figuring out the best possible way to present mm -hmm. that recipe. And some and some things are a little bit more of the smoke and mirrors variety, a tiny uh, bit, you know, a little or bit. Or maybe you're get, you like have a sauce, then you get a little bit more messy, take a picture, a little more messy, take a picture, take some bites away, a little more messy. Oh, it's too messy. OK, uh, I like the one before that. Yeah, kind so of like go through that process of like reduction or messiness or sauciness or 
you know, and, and it's okay. Like, okay, let's just see how far we can take this. Okay, too far. <laughs> what do you like better? Would you like the kind of old school, you know, really styling the food? Like, is that where your passion is? Or do you like sort of the overall production thing? Like, what, what gets you going? It's kind of two different sides of the brain for me in a way, because the production side is that is a skill set that I've been honing for many years. And it's a good challenge for that side of my brain to kind of figure out, okay, so we're shooting this show called Baking School. We have to make three layer cakes, but we also have to show what a cake looks like if it's underbaked or overbaked or if it's like undermixed or overmixed and how many cakes do we need to make and how are we going to get those cakes from where we're baking them to where we're shooting and you know all of those kind of questions but then there's kind of the more artistic side of me that really does enjoy styling that's kind of goes back to photography days where you're I feel like a food stylist almost gets to control the content of a photograph of food because you're creating the composition and yes the photographer is figuring out the lighting and, you know, you're working with maybe a prop stylist who's bringing the plates and the, you know, the napkin and, you know, the surface and all of that. I mean, you're definitely all working together as a team, but that's kind of like the moment of arranging things on a plate is really satisfying for me. Are there any tricks from food styling that you've learned that you actually apply to home cooking or that someone else could apply to home cooking? I think when in doubt, serve family style okay. because I think a lot of food especially if you're having friends over, can look really beautiful kind of all together on a platter rather than trying to plate everyone and and style every plate yourself. You can kind of present this abundant platter and have people, you know, serve themselves. I think if you have a sauce, sometimes if it makes sense, serve it on the side because you don't necessarily know if people want the sauce or not. Or if you saw something too early it might start to look kind of old and dead after a while. Which is the enemy of good food. That, mm -hmm. as we've, If we've learned nothing else, it's, it's been a lot of fun chatting. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. That is it for this week's episode of Working. That's it for this little mini-series of Working. And my, I think I've been doing 40 episodes now in a row, so I'm going to get a little bit of a break now, and you're going to have Laura take over. But in the meantime, you can still email me at workingatslate.com if you want to complain or vent or talk about anything or ask questions. Also, you can still leave reviews at Apple Podcasts, like I always tell you, every single episode, because you know you can still do that. Working is and will be produced by Jessamine Molly. She is going to be the through line as we have multiple hosts, the essential through line. Beyond that, a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music and uh, enjoy the comedy cellar.